Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. That's me. And I'm Blake Howard, head of One Heat Minute Productions and the guy behind shows such as One Heat Minute, Increment Vice, All the President's Minutes and more. And more, including Josie and the Podcats, a six-part limited podcast series about the 2001 cult film Josie and the Pussycats, which we worked on together. But... We're not here to talk about that today. Today, we're here to break down the latest chapter from It Came From The Deep. Oh my God, the thing that was from the deep, it that we do not know the name of, is actually in this goddamn chapter. Maria Lewis, welcome back. What? Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> you were so tense after the last time. You were I, I, like, let you me get, get on get, to chapter four. <laughs> When's it going to happen? Some, chapter four. Some serious mer blue balls uh, at the end of the last chapter. Mm. Um, and, and great Always deal. my intent. <laughs> and great deal of fear. But, um, you know, again, you're still, you're still building up this story. We're still very early days um, and it came from the deep relatively to the rest of the movie and, and sort of unpacking this mystery. And uh, so much of it is still grounded in a reality, which is really great because you literally, although, although we'll, and we're going to get to it, talking of a gray hand, splashes in the water, missing people, uh, Kaya being evasive with her family because she's already starting to put together who this could have been. A crime, not a crime of opportunity. Very uh, tradecrafty Maria Lewis, I researcher. Um, I, I have a, a book on murder research that I keep on my bedside mm-hmm. table, uh, Lewis, there. I can but, see it just out of frame. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it, it it was a you know it was definitely planned and it was it was there to be done but just the very real procedural fallout of this sort of thing happening and the uh, one of the things really combative approach to a victim which I wanted to let's kick off a combative approach to a victim from the start where someone has just been assaulted and they're getting grilled uh, is a very strange dichotomy. I thought reflectively reading it. Maybe I'm getting a bit older and a bit more sensitive to these things. No, you know what it is. Um, you're a man. And whenever a woman... <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> whenever a woman survives any kind of physical attack, it doesn't have to be sexual assault, but any kind of incident per se, mm-hmm. the relentless barrage of questions... Um, there's no regard for the mental health of the victim or mm. the very recently, like, you know, fucking trauma or any of that kind of stuff. It is just literally barrage after barrage after barrage of questions, often from different officers asking the same question or from a, var- a variation of the same question. I had never seen that reflected in pop culture before, but knowing it to be a thing, like a lived thing and a seen thing, and you hear lots of different women talk about it all the time. I had never seen it represented in pop culture before when I wrote this scene and when I wrote this book. And then after it came from the deep had been out for a few years. I I want to say it. I want to say a show that we watched together. Yeah. Unbelievable. 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 And unbelievable was all about, I mean, the opening episode is for sure. I think the weakest and the toughest of, I think the 10 because it is literally a woman just getting talked out of her assault yeah, uh, just from the structure of how interrogations go. And it was the first time I'd seen it. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. If people had no experience of, or like no trade crafty stuff, 
um, if people had no understanding of that specific experience, when it came from the deep came out and that scene and that like sort of series of events was quite stark to people, now in a post-unbelievable world, I feel like they will understand that it's a lot more commonplace than you think. In fact, it's the default position is just question women until they break or they don't. And then if they don't, yes, yeah, if we got a case, but if they break, it's like these bitches be crazy. <laughs> That's how they think. That's how they think, like genuinely. And, and it was really good to see the way that you wrote it in that you've got this approach where someone is being berated essentially. And then right from the outset, it's like, Hey, Hey, this is the fourth time she's been asked, like actually a cop, like an ally that is in there. Um, and, 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 uh, um, is it, uh, I can't remember his rank, but it was how house go. Uh, was it, is, is, no, is this, is this, the, Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, is this the house go guy? Like, is that, is that the, the guy that this is based off this person or is this, per, per, was that detective based off of anyone or this is a, a, a brand new creation? He is kind of based off the real house go, but also, I stole the name of House Goat for a different character that you is did. nothing like the real House Goat. No, yes. So it's a weird combination, but I kind of portray, like, saw this character as being played by like an Aaron Peterson type, where there is like a real sort of grizzled, uh, gruff exterior because of how long they've been, you know, in the force and the things that they've seen, and also. From, being, you from know, your mouth to the casting God's ears, because that is exactly <laughs> who I had in my head. But also just the extra layer of shit you have to put up with being an Aboriginal cop, but also like the an internal Aboriginal, conflict. An Aboriginal cop in Queensland. Yes, and the internal conflict of that, of like, am I trying to change things from within or am I joining a corrupt system that's irredeemable? So just like all that extra layer of stuff, not that we ever get into it, but that was kind of the inspiration for it. And there are good cops out there, especially ones that are, you know, a little bit older who, when he comes in to the scene, it's like, he's seen this happen so many times before mm. to women just getting grilled and grilled and grilled and over again. And also this scene, it, it, because it is set in a hospital, it was like, not hard for me to write, but it was interesting for me to write because when I had my stroke, my TIA at 22, there was a situation where I kept getting grilled over and over and over again when I got brought into the hospital about what had I taken? What drugs was I on? How much did I drink? Tell us the drugs you're on. Don't lie to us. It was repetitive, different doctors, different nurses, really fucking aggressive nurses to the point that my old boss, Kath Weber, bless her heart, had to like, let's say, get in a nurse's face is the most polite way to put it and say to her, I love Kath listen, Weber. Kath is uh, honestly the Kath biggest Weber. G unit ever. Get in a nurse's face and I'll never fucking forget it because keep in mind these people are asking me all these questions as I'm having a stroke. So I can't even verbally communicate what I'm feeling. I don't know how to explain what I'm feeling because I didn't even think that I was having a stroke. But also um, I was in a fucking excruciating amount of pain and they were doing nothing because, you know, the... I would say people don't believe women, but it is a very like, it's just the kernel of truth of like people not believing women reaches its toxic little tendrils out into so many different aspects of society, not just police, but also medicine. And Kath got up in this nurse's face and she goes, 
word for word. Goes, Listen here, you fucking bitch. <laughs> we work in a newsroom where everyone's an alcoholic, a chain smoker, or a drug addict, or a functioning drug addict. And she's the only fucking one in the newsroom who doesn't do any of that fucking shit. And you either need to start listening to her right now, or I'm going to create a story out of this. And the nurse freaked out and the doctor was there watching all this happen and was like, oh shit. And Kath is like, so start looking into it right fucking now. You hear me right fucking now. And her doing that <laughs> saved my fucking life. It yeah. saved my life because then they were like, oh, you know what? Okay. We've nearly had this woman here for fucking six hours and we've done jack shit. Um, and they did uh, a spinal tap. They took fluid from my spine. They fucking did all this shit and it was when they did the MRI they saw the right side of my brain was illuminated in a way that would be indicative of a stroke that affected the left side of my body which is what had happened but up until that point it took Kath getting in those people's face for me to like I probably wouldn't have died but I would have been in a much worse state than I was because the treatment changes immediately once they identified that it's a stroke but I had colored hair and I had tattoos and I lived in Newtown in Sydney at the time and I got brought in on a Monday night. So they didn't even bother to like look at my medical history or the fact that I didn't, I, this was right in the middle of my stretch where I didn't drink alcohol for 10, 11 years. Um, didn't do drugs. They didn't look at any of that. It was just, she looks like, um, party girl. somebody, yeah, she looks like a party girl and <laughs> a, to- a total Newtown hot mess. Hot, well, yeah, accurate, but also just like <laughs> wasn't fucking mainline. Wait, 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 on a accurate, Monday. accurate, but definitely in the hot animus. But, but. but that whole situation was very much, and I had already had a draft of it came from the deep at the time that I reworked the hospital scene with Kaya to make it feel more authentic because of that experience, because of just the way that. Um, authority figures can be so relentless when it comes to not only believing women, but listening to women. And if you think about it in the context of what Kai has been through, it's a weird bloody situation. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like she doesn't say that, Hey, I'm pretty sure something like she mentions it, but she doesn't really, she's like, they just kind of disappeared beneath the water. She doesn't mention the flash of silver or the hand that she saw she mentions being attacked that she dived into the water to escape and then something dragged them under the water. And keep in mind as well, this lake is a freshwater lake. It's pretty much closed off from all of the other canal and waterway systems that, you know, if it was Burley Lake, for instance, there have been multiple fatal shark attacks there. So you could rationalize, okay, some people get dragged into water. It's most likely a bull shark because the bull sharks, um, when they're little hatchlings, get stuck in those canals. They grow up and they can't get out because they're too big. And they get super, or they're aggressive anyway, but they get even more super aggressive. Sometimes they hunt in packs and people get fucking chomped all the time. That's why people don't swim in those lakes. They only like will paddle in them or whatever. And Lake Palatz, which is based on Lake Humans on the Gold Coast, is a freshwater lake. So, I mean, bull sharks can swim in fresh or salt water. That's not the point. But it's like they can't physically get in there. They can't get in there. It's like a giant pool. 
Yes. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're doing an enclosed area. It can have its own ecosystem, et cetera. But ultimately when it's a, it's a man-made construction. Yes. Um, and if it wasn't man-made, it's <laughs> like at least- all of the Gold Coast. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a man-made curation. You know, if they found a lake there, they, you know, they boarded it, as, as not boarded it, but you know, like bricked it in yeah. essentially. Um, and, and then or any of the tributaries and things like that that used to feed it are essentially cut off. Like you don't get any of that stuff. But as you said, there are some that absolutely have, you know, uh, pathways to bigger canals and rivers and things like that. If you've got any access to the ocean rivers, there's heaps of examples of like it turns fresh further up and there are ocean fish that like make their way to the beginning yes. and start to do that and make their way up upstream. Yeah, totally. And so as she's recounting that story, it's a weird fucking story anyway, Can- let alone the fact that people don't believe women. You know? I was just, yeah, uh, very, very weird. But I also love, there's some good imagery just right up top and it's very, um, Australian movies have done a, f- a few times. The Wolf Creeks have been very good at it in that mm, a bloodied, a bloodied person runs onto a road and they're a yeah. fucking mess and someone Help stops me! the car Help! and you're like, ah, like, you know what I mean? Like that's just <laughs> you as the driver. Like it's scary. And then you're like, shit, and you try and help. So like you try, yeah. there's a panic, there's a help, you know, and all those impulses and like immediate uh, adrenaline dump for anyone who's like interacting with you and freaking out and oh my God. And so I'm, there, there's that at least good fun imagery at the beginning, like scaring the living you know, I think if this was, if there was a script of it came from the deep at that moment, it would be her waking up like on the grass and then it would be someone driving their car and then this bloody blonde woman, like looking at the bride from Kill Bill running out onto the, <laughs> running out onto a highway and going, stop. And you're like, shit. That's legit how I'd start the script. I'd start with her waking up like bloodied and on the water and like on the grass, on the edge of the water, seeing a splash and then running into traffic and then being like a, you know, three days earlier, dun, dun, dun. like that yeah. kind of, that, that's how, that's how you start it for sure. Start on an action beat. Yeah. So it's, it's, so we get there, she's in hospital, obviously the interrogations unfolding. Um, I really like the spherical Russian nurse. She's just like mm-hmm. such a, um, I've had, there was, there's a little deli in Western Southwest and uh, Southeast and Sydney, I guess you would call, um, in a place called Cogra where I used to work. And there was a whole like line of Eastern European ladies who ran this deli and you would go in and they would all make like really great, like little sandwiches and stuff. And you go there pretty frequently to get something, you know, relatively healthy instead of going and like murdering, you know, 48 dumplings as I had the inclination to do, but you would go there and you were sure that all of them were talking mad shit about you. Like while they were making you a sandwich, like, look at this freaking. So it's like when you're getting a pedicure and manicure and you're like, <laughs> for sure, they're being like, this bitch's nails are mank. <laughs> the disgusting. And I just, there was one of the little ladies who was like a little dumpy, spherical woman there. And I just immediately was like, oh, there's, I've, I've, I've had a sandwich from this chick. Um, uh, so, you know, that's, that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of response. Very, very good hospital scenes, very aggro, uh, uh, KC and Storm coming in all felt extremely relatable in those moments. And I think that the helplessness and the bluster speaking, because as you pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, I am a man. Um, and thank you for pointing it out at the beginning of the podcast. What you do when you feel especially helpless is you puff your chest up and get angry because you're hurt from your own helplessness. Um, and I think that I can't imagine that someone I loved even just got hurt as bad as Kaya because I would be losing it. And Kaya makes a very apt decision to not tell her brother and her father in those moments of who it could be because 
Gold Coast, tough Gold Coast dudes aren't afraid of a cheeky punch on and you would bet your sweet ass that they'd be firing out of that hospital, jumping in a car and driving to people's houses and punching on that night big time. Mate, fucking Biffo and GC Hospo. Storm's reaction is something just to bookmark it for later because we see him with this reaction is um, classic storm reaction, put it that way. He is somebody who always reacts in anger first, much like me, actually. That's that's usually my first response for everything is, is anger. <laughs> and then I have to like work my way backwards. <laughs> and You're like a kettle after it's boiled. Like the whistle's already <laughs> gone. And then it's like, ooh. It's my aspirations <laughs> to be Mariah. That's the best I can do. Never hit that whistle register. But um, men are allowed to have those reactions. Like they can get through the world having their first reaction be anger and that Mm. be something that's like just handled and managed right up until they're in their thirties. And Storm is in many ways a man child, you know, he's grown up um, in a city where people think he's a big deal. He's had so much talent that he just kind of like fucking flounders and he lives at home in his dad's, his famous dad's mansion. You know what I mean? Like he's someone with a lot of privilege who's never really had to stretch himself in any way, shape or form and never really, had things not go his way. So oftentimes when he reacts to stuff, it is from this place of anger. And there's a really great example of it a bit later so that I wanted to put these, like put the groundwork in early so that you see, okay, he's a guy who never necessarily reacts to something rationally, especially when it comes to his little sister. And um, then you see it in his dad, you know, <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's a very sort of like a faulty towers fucking comedic bit where like one of the Craig men come in, they're like, where is she? And then you like, just settle them down. And then, and then the next one's like, like no, he, the, the storm tries to one up. You know, that Casey's the more, you know, the more intimidating, the two a little bit more worldly and a bit more panicked, but he's still very urgent. Like, especially being a bit famous, he's going to get some attention. He doesn't have to have the same level of bluster that storm does. I think that that's the great dynamic you establish. Like people know who the hell Casey is. And even later in the chapter, there's a moment where Casey's like telling stuff to cabbie and like Kai has to kind of correct him and be like, Mate, she grew up on the Gold Coast. Like, you don't have to tell her any. Like, you don't have to tell her any of this. She knows. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's. I, I think that that's a good dynamic that you built with them because Storm's out there to prove himself way more than KC is. Yeah, and that little moment between um, Cabby and KC, it was something that I wanted to show that KC, for all intents and purposes, is doing his best, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a bit of an asshole. And he's a bit ignorant when it comes to things of the world. He wouldn't classify himself as an active racist, but he definitely says passively racist things in the way that he deals with cabbie. In the same way that you have that grandfather or that uncle who's like not woke and hasn't grown up in a world where they understand the right way to use terms and to use terminology and to interact with people of color. Or they don't care to learn. I think... Casey is not that he's care. He's care to learn, but he's not as, not as innately sensitive to it. He's, he's subtly racist in the way those old school guys are racist, you know, in their forties and fifties. And I wanted to put that in there because that is authentic of that kind of person. That is exactly how those kind of people operate through the world. And 
just to sort of lay that groundwork that just because he's Kaya and Storm's father and because he's, you know, one of those sort of main supporting characters in the book doesn't mean that he is not an incredibly flawed individual who hasn't always been there for his kids in the way that they've really needed him to, even though the outward perception is that he's this bit of a Gold Coast legend. You know, this family has a specific front, but the reality is it's that it's a lot more fractured than you would necessarily think once you start diving under the surface a little bit. Yeah. Also, um, Casey benefits. This is the thing that wealthy athletes struggle with. If one of your kids follows an athletic path, it is very, there's a lot of shorthand that you can help them with regardless of the field that they're in. Obviously she's in a very similar and a comparable field to him. So mm. the fact that he, she's passionate about it, it makes her the kind of the default favorite because she she has a pathway that is easily digestible for him as a person. But if you, for example, have an app, you know, like, you know, Storm's a little bit more creative, obviously insanely physically talented, probably genetically gifted. His dad's like an Adonis. He looks basically like his dad. His sister is this, you know, if we're talking... Um, cut from the Courtney Hancock cloth in the way that you've designed them. Like you're talking about gigantic, beautiful people. Um, and so I think in those moments, it's like trying to translate to his dad that he's, that he would be wanting to be anything but an athlete it, like, or, or do something physical. It's really hard to compute. So he is a bit of a dead shit, but he's escaping it because, you know, he's privileged in a privileged position enough to do it. And he does, he's not a complete dead shit. He's not a complete loser. He's at least still a physically active person. He's passionate about being creative. He goes and plays in a band or whatever. Um, but, but there's going to be a time later in his life. You know, there's a reckoning coming for Paul storm where his dad's like, get the hell out of here, man. Like get the hell out of my house. Coming by the end of the book. Like yeah. we hit a very specific, the turning point for storm. Whereas Kaya's having it, Kaya's her turning point came five months before the book started with the Brie Tyler stuff. Yeah. The turning point for Storm is coming in the final chapters of this book. That's the sort of like instigating incident for him. So, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I was about to say something else. I was like, no, let's not spoil it for no, people. I think, um, but again, this is a better chapter because it's just about pace and I, I really want to kind of sum up our conversation on this after show, really about the choice of like, um, you know, we were, I was talking to a couple of friends about this show and talking to a couple of friends about like what, what your process is in this moment right now, are you going, I need to give just a little bit, just, you know, in, in disgusting parlance, I'd say like just the tip. Am I just giving just the tip and then I'm backing right out of here? Um, is that, how do you, uh, I'm very mindful of like when you're planning and executing and you've got like the, when you've got the mad scientist, you know, true detective garage with the, with the yarn about what you're designing in for your story, where, where does it say, okay, now I know that this is like the, the key action beat for the first third of the book. How do I then make sure that I'm like, I'm not just dumping my wad here and giving everything too quickly. Like, how do you measure that? So you're a hundred percent right in terms of like, this is the big action beat for that first third of the book. Not to say that there hasn't been action, but this is the first time that the central protagonist has been in physical peril. And that will happen at various points throughout the rest of the story. But this is the first like, holy shit, this is real. Like this thing is, is happening. And so the next chapter, because the thing that happened was so hyper real, even this situation, you have to think about it from a realistic point of view the hospital scene. It's the interrogation yes. scene. And the Gold Coast Hospital, 
it's a place that I know really well, unfortunately, um, because I, I like used to, when you were a reporter and you see the scene when she leaves the hospital and the reporters are there, you know, it is a place that you would sometimes have to stake out. Oftentimes you'd be invited maybe by people's families to come and talk to them at the bedside after an incident or depending on what it was. But so I knew it like from a sort of just, I knew it from a vague perspective. I didn't know the halls and the elevators and the smells and the scents intimately till a friend of mine uh, got hit by a car by a drunk driver on New Year's Eve. And uh, he was, he was a really good friend of Courtney and mine and he got put in the ICU and were told that he was going to die, but he wasn't going to make it. And he was an athlete. He was somebody who, um, who had come over to our surf club to compete and to like have a shot at the Olympics specifically in like the kayaking fields, um, K1 and K2. And so, you know, we went to the hospital and said our goodbyes to him. And then, you know, one day became two, became three, became a week, became two weeks. And, the coma that he was in, he came out of the coma. They slowly started um, like bringing him out of the coma and back to consciousness. And he had a really long recovery period in Gold Coast Hospital and after the fact. But it was in those months when he was there that we would go and visit him and hang out that I got to know the hospital really well to the point that when I was writing this scene and writing this chapter, it felt like I could take the readers there in a way that didn't make it feel like a generic hospital, regardless of the fact, like you don't need to have been to Gold Coast Hospital to know what the fuck I'm talking about. But I wanted it to feel like a place that really existed because it does, but like for it to feel like a place that you could hear how it sounded to be sitting on a stretcher there or in a bedroom there, you could see the types of nurses, you could feel the fucking fabric of the sheets, all of that kind of stuff. So adding all of that detail to it alongside with the hecticness of the police aspect as well. So it's Kaya's physical condition and the medical condition, but also like the, the police stuff as well. The best way to not lose that pace and lose that adrenaline that you, adrenaline? Uh, to lose that adrenaline <laughs> that you have at the end of chapter three is to have a lot of stuff happening, even if it can't be the same level of quote unquote stuff as an attack in a lake and you don't know how those, how you survived or who saved you or what, if you were spared or saved or whatever, the best way to keep that energy going in lieu of having a physical in incident to like instigate the action is to have a lot of other stuff happening. And that's the medical stuff. That's the police stuff. But even things like, um, <laughs> there was like a little flippant line that she has a back and forth, um with one of the cops who's like could it be a shark and you know they're like they're back yeah, and forth yeah. and she's like i don't know well no it's a lake and he's like yeah but like bull sharks and blah 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 and they're doing this thing right which when by the time we have aaron peterson come in <laughs> we'll just refer to him as that like from here on out this would be a super weird incident anywhere but because it's the gold coast it's yeah it's like yes this is a super weird incident but also there definitely could be something crazy going on because and we talk about this in a later bonus app with Haley, um, Haley Sultani, who was a reporter that I used to work with, but there would just be the craziest stories to come out of the Gold Coast and specifically the craziest stories to come out of 
Gold Coast waterway incidences. So any cop who's worth his salt, who's worked the Gold Coast beat for more than 12 months, which is such a wee bit of time, but like if you've worked there for 12 years, oh my God, the perspective that you would have, you can never discount anything, no matter how <laughs> crazy it sounds. So the fact that he's like hustling to investigate what's in that lake immediately is testament to the fact that you can just never ever just be like, well, the logical answer to this will be something that's completely normal because yeah. eight, eight times out of 10 on the GC, <laughs> it isn't. And even the way, like, um, when he was, he kind of consents that she's telling not the full truth, the way that she's talking and he's asking leading questions in particular. And one of those leading questions, um, the, it pertains to a thing about like, she, he can see the bruises around her neck, right? He can see the physical damage of her windpipe. Again, that's like adding to that level of like real shit's happening here. Even if it's not a physical incident, we can mm. keep the stakes pretty high, but he sees that bruising and he knows immediately just from looking at it, that the person and persons who attacked her have to be physically strong because and this is something you read about all the time with different serial killers, but that murder book you refer to, um, Practical Homicide Investigation, Investigation. Revised Edition, um, they talk about with strangling victims, how hard it is to manually strangle somebody, like physically how hard it is. And there's a show called The Fall with Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dornan that is amazing. And kind of loosely based on BTK killer and a few other like sort of merged versions to create this fictional serial killer. But you see him after attempting to attack somebody that he, he's a really physically fit guy, but he physically was struggling with the strangling. So you see him doing these um, exercises with a, a stress ball with his fingers and they never tell you why he's doing that. You don't see the fact that he struggles strangling somebody you never see it you hear it referred to in the final episodes and that piece clicks into clicks into place but to be able to strangle somebody to the point of death or even the point of unconsciousness it takes practice and it takes training so the fact that they were determined to kill Kai that way is telling him as a police officer the people who did this are physically strong she's telling me she didn't recognize them didn't recognize their voices this is their vague physical type but she's being intentionally non-specific and that is also telling him something and she's from a world of strong people so it's sort of like threading the mystery in a few different ways kaya has her own thing that she's thinking about did i hallucinate what was in that lake i can't believe i survived this i nearly died he's thinking about it from the perspective of she's telling me stuff but she's not telling me the full story what is she hiding and then cabby storm and casey are in the holy fuck what the fuck is going on i can't believe this is happening jesus christ disaster just seems to follow this chick wherever she goes yeah it's it's really weird it's good that you put it that way because like the cop's inclination is that she's being withholding but i also think it's really tough it's a really tough line to draw because it's like she has experienced a significant amount of trauma like so you know she looks beaten up she looks battered she's you can you know obviously you're painting a picture for us, but you, you know, she's got the bruises on her neck. She's had a concussion. It's like, I don't remember how I got there. And, and so I, I can see his inclination. Maybe he's hearing something in the voice. It's just, you know, sometimes you, they even say with people who are going through like, uh, you know, bipolar episodes and stuff like that, that people's voices completely change. You can hear in someone's voice, 
you know, a bipolar episode coming sometimes a week out because the register of how they're talking starts to change, the speed. And Shout out are- to Last Exorcism of Emily Rose, which yeah. tries to uh, have a medical science explanation for why she's like just <laughs> speaking Latin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a movie. So, yeah. And I mean, look, the and the OG exorcist, um, you know, obviously the freaking exorcist does the same thing. It's like trying to say that Reagan's got ADHD and there's a whole bunch of doctors telling her mother that, you know, um, Ellen Barkin that it's like, oh no, she's fine. And you're like, uh, no, that's not it. And um, her head is on a road to Samari. <laughs> she, I saw her crawling like a spider above our stairs. Um, anyway, so imagine like if, if you were a parent, well, you are a parent. Shit, if I was a parent. Wait, I'm a, I'm a man <laughs> and a parent. If you were downstairs watching heat, because that's what you do in your lounge mm. room. And you mm-hmm. heard the little Wait, I'll paint this picture. Of, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you hear a little pitter-patter of feet. What would you do if you turn to look at the stairs and it's Kate bending his little croissant <laughs> body into that position so that he's like, you know, reganing it down the stairs? What would you do? He'd get stuck at the gate, I guess. <laughs> I would scream louder than you would ever imagine my wife would. I'd be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'd first yell because I think it was Lane. Lane, what are you doing? Oh my God, it's Cajun. Um, Yeah, like that's my Labrador. I would think that's like crawling around because if you're on all fours, it would be too, totally weird. But yeah, look, uh, I mean, un- unfathomable. But yeah, I-, I was just going to say like in these moments, it's weird wondering just to get back on the detective. It's like knowing sort of having the inclination or the impulse or the instinct that someone is withholding certain facts, but also at the same time, I guess that's where you get the kind of good cop and the more experienced cop is like, right now you're not going to get anything qualitative because if she is withholding, it's because of the trauma. And if she, and, and if she's withholding unintentionally, it's probably because of the concussion, you know, like, so until this person actually recovers, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, look. And you, you also have recovered memories. This is the other thing with trauma is that people can't, especially when the trauma is so fresh like this, people don't have, the full perspective to take two, three, four steps back and look at the entire incident objectively, regardless of the fact that we know she's withholding. He doesn't know that he might suspect it or feel it in his gut, but he doesn't know for a fact. So for his perspective, he's like, well, this is what I can get right now. Let's not push it. And this might be something that we can revisit in three, four days a week, whatever, because he knows from experience that, victims of trauma and victims of stuff like this oftentimes end up having those recovered memories after the fact. And if they don't, there are so many different techniques. Hypnosis in particular was something that was used a lot in the case um, of the Golden State Killer. Like that was and like that was one of the main go-to sort of tools is that so many of the women who survived and the men were so horrifically traumatized that in order for them to physically cope, their body would shut off parts of those memories and recollections just so they could get by. So for the officers in the various counties who are investigating those crimes and trying to work with those survivors, hypnosis was a thing they would often go to because it was the only way to unlock the full scope of those memories. And so for somebody like him who has a lot of experience, he's thinking maybe, okay, I feel like she's maybe holding something back but I'm going to give her the benefit of a doubt. And this might be something that we can, we can tap into in a few days time. And I'm more likely to get better information than trying to slam this person and inundate them with questions. And as many questions as I can and in shorter space as I can. Well, 
I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the fallout, Kaya back under the scrutiny of the cameras again. And uh, we can't, you know, we're not, we're not going to go too far ahead in the book, but suffice to say um, more details coming to light about the attackers, more details about what happens to them, more details uh, about paparazzi, the cops being continued to be involved and getting down to the library, getting down to the library to do some research, some hardcore Googling. This is the foundation of um, sort of Kaya and Cabby sort of stepping onto that next, that next level of their friendship because Cabby is the only one who, who really gets um, more of a full picture out of everybody. And, you know, Cabby doesn't immediately dismiss her. She, um, she says that line, like, none of us really know what's beneath us, Kaya. She doesn't immediately discount her. And I think that's incredibly valuable and it's a little kernel for what's to come. But can I just also say um, with any medical stuff that is any, any medical shit that's in my books, uh, I have a friend, uh, Dr. Cox, that's his real name. He's a real doctor and he is always my go-to with stuff like this. Does not um, go, does not go by the nickname Doc Cox. I just, that it's, it's Dr. Cox just for clarification. And, and spelt like, you know, C-O-C-K-S, which is like, you know, when we were <laughs> growing up back when people had phone books, he would, I remember like the first time sort of hanging out at his house and the phone went like 20 times in the space of, I don't know, maybe 10 hours that we were there. He'd get up and like, yep. Yeah. No, this is, yeah. Mr. Cox. Yeah. Smelt like the dick. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. All right. Bye. Quick. And then in a few hours, <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. Cops like the dick, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was just had this like tired Super polite, approach. super tired super polite. Super polite because, you know, he got it all the time. But he, whenever I have medical stuff, usually he's um, he's the person, if I have a question or if I'm like, I'm trying to describe it, can you explain it to me how you would, which is usually a super fucked way and that people would never understand it. <laughs> I would never be able to digest it. And then I can try and translate it to make it make it feel authentic in some kind of capacity. Well, we've got more to come. We've just the, we've just got the the tip of the little grey hand, just a little tip, a little tip of a merman, a little tip of a merman coming out to play. We're excited. Yeah, we're about to plunge, baby. Hey, Finn deep. Wait, pump the brakes on that whoosh. Bikini Kill. Cavi is wearing a Bikini Kill t-shirt. That was my last question. I forgot to ask you. I got too caught up uh, in us uh, keeping the same energy and uh, and Dr. Cox and uh, politeness. And I forgot to ask you about Bikini Kill. Please tell me. Bikini Kill, Seminole American punk rock band. I guess they're most commonly sort of associated with the Riot Girl movement, um, Kathleen Hannah's the front woman, like they have so many fucking banger hits, but they're kind of like a go-to for um, lesbians who love rock or lesbians who love <laughs> punk rock, you know, like there's a, her wearing a Bikini Kill t-shirt really tells you everything that you need to know about Cabby. And it's like a little thing that if you've read any of my previous novels or any of my uh, novels that come after it came from the deep, you'll know that that's something that I like to do a lot is sometimes it's easier to just show you who that person is rather than describing 
who they are in intimate and intricate detail. You know, a band poster on a wall can tell you so much about a character or like them wearing a t-shirt of a movie or like even the kind of book they're reading or a line that they make in reference to pop culture. Mm. I feel like pop culture can really tell you a lot about who that person is. And her wearing the Bikini Kill t-shirt is, is, is meant to be that. It's in the playlist, baby. There's Bikini Kill and the It Came From The Deep playlist. So you can really get your fix. It Came From The Deep is a narrative podcast series based on the novel from best-selling author Maria Lewis. Read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post-Production Services. New chapters release every week with bonus episodes dropping in between with Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations and writing process. It Came From The Deep is part of One Hit Minute Productions. If you think aquatic humanoids deserve rights too, please like, subscribe, and share with your mermaids.